Uh, my name's Paul. I'm the minister of the church here. It's a great joy to be able to add my welcome to John's. If you guys are new in town, whether here year-round or just in term time, then we're delighted to be getting to know you this morning. And I really hope you can stick around at the end and make yourself known to us, as John was saying. Over the, the course of August, we've been working through some parables that Jesus told in Matthew 13. We're going to finish that little series uh, this morning by turning to page 819, and then we'll begin our term time series next Sunday when one or two more have made it back to town. But on page 819, I'm going to read from verses 44 to 46, but before I do that, I'm going to lead us in prayer. Almighty God, we want to thank you that you are here with us now and that in and through the Lord Jesus and through his word, you give us this enormous privilege of knowing you. We pray that in our next few moments, you would help us to value him rightly so that we might respond and live rightly in your world in whatever it is that we have in front of us this week and this year, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read then, if you're on page 819 in our Bibles, Matthew 13, and from verses 44 to 46. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. I'm hoping you want to keep that open in front of you. There's also an outline of the, the talk on the back of the notice sheet that will be of use to you, I hope, over the next few minutes. Um, if you're ever to apply for a place on the MBA program at Stanford University, they'll get you to write an essay, as American unis often do, and the title will be, What Matters Most to You and Why? Uh, and they say in their admission stuff that that essay is key for them as part of the process because they don't just want to know about your grades. Everybody's got good grades, apparently. They want to know about your ideals, and about your values in life. And they reckon that question takes them to the heart of who you are as a person. What matters most in the whole world to you and why? That's a pretty good question for us to reflect on at the start of a new year together as well. We all know, I think by now, that our greatest value, the greatest value in life is not found in material possessions. Uh, it's nice to have nice stuff, we know that, many of us like collecting toys, but we know that that's not the, the absolute essence of life. MasterCard had an advert a few years ago, it showed a bloke away on business, and he was chatting to his kids on the phone, and then in the next scene, he's at an airport, and the screen said, plane ticket home, 295 quid, something like that, and then he's in a taxi, taxi, 65 quid, he's holding a teddy bear from duty-free, 20 quid, and then it said, but Christmas with your family, priceless. And I guess that advert is asking us the same kind of question as the Stanford essay. If you were in the MasterCard advert this week, how would it end? What would be the, the thing that is priceless in your eyes that you'd never want to give up for anything 
and that you cherish and value more than anything. And the issue in these parables from Jesus is when we're, we're dishing out relative value to things, we're making value judgments all the time as human beings, when we're considering the different value of different things, family, success, friends, pleasure, what kind of value do we place on Jesus Christ specifically? He says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up in his joy. He goes and sells all that he has so that, and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. He finds one pearl of great value. And so he goes and sells everything else that he's got and buys it. Um, the stories don't require much explanation, I guess. Here are two people. One's a workman. He's probably just going about his normal daily life, manual laborer. He's digging away in the field, and then he, he makes this discovery that's going to change his life forever. Spade hits metal with a clunk, bends down eagerly to see what it is, scrapes the dirt away, and there is treasure beyond his wildest dreams. And he'll do anything to get it. Uh, kids Bible we used to own shows him running home he's trying to hide the grin on his face and he puts a, a sign up outside his nice big house saying everything must go and he sells his car and he sells his really big tv and soon he's got nothing left in the whole world except for a, a big wheelbarrow full of cash and so he goes and he buys his field and he gets the treasure but it costs him everything the merchant in the second parable is a little bit different. If the laborer stumbles across his treasure by chance, this man has made a career of his, of his search, buying and selling, buying and selling. And then one day, he sees a pearl that blows his mind and it captures his heart. And again, he's willing to do anything just so that he can get it. Two stories then, and we've got the two points on the sheet as we think about them. And just to reassure you, the first point is much longer than the second, which you'll appreciate by the time we're halfway through. So first, this morning, the hidden worth, the hidden value of the kingdom of heaven. And I think we'll be able to see already that whatever it is that we value most in the world, Jesus is inviting us to imagine a day when we come across something that's even more valuable than that, and specifically to imagine the day when we come across, when we realize that he himself is so greatly to be desired and cherished that we would be willing to give up anything and everything just so that we could have him. And I reckon maybe the most astonishing thing about it is the attitude that Jesus says will go along with this discovery, because this isn't grumbling and grieving about what we might be losing. Verse 44 is saying, if only we could begin to comprehend the true value of Jesus, it would be with joy that we'd give up everything else for him. So not, oh, he's God, I suppose it's true, so I've got to live for him. Not, oh, I've got to obey a set of rules. But here is a relationship with God himself, and it is more valuable than anything. 
Uh, we all know that very few people in the world think of Jesus in those terms today. Folks arriving in St. Andrews this weekend, either as students or for the Gulf, whatever. We'll, we'll know people like the laborer in the field who are just going about the highs and lows of daily life. It's never even occurred to them that Jesus might be the most precious thing in the world. And some of us will be able to think of people like the merchant as well, a lifetime of searching for something more. They've read books and traveled the world and dabbled with different beliefs and philosophies. They've been looking for something ultimate. But so far, nothing quite yet has fit the bill. We, we might instinctively think, therefore, that the target audience, if I can put it like that, of Jesus' parables must be the world around us, that what he's trying to do is challenge people who don't come to church about what they're living for. And I guess the parables do do that brilliantly. Actually, the people he's speaking to, his primary target audience, is much closer to home than that. If you glance up to verse 36 of the chapter, you'll see that Jesus has just walked away from the crowds. He's gone into a house, and he's been followed there by his disciples. It's precisely to them, to people like us, who already follow Jesus, that he now chooses to underline his worth. He clearly thinks that however long I've been a Christian, this is something I need to remember and come back to. So the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up in his joy. He goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Uh, in the days before safety deposit boxes and secure banking, it was pretty common to hide your most expensive and precious stuff in the ground. That was standard. There were rules about what you had to do if you uh, found, uh, if you discovered something uh, in this sort of way. But Jesus isn't talking about the, the guy's ethics. He's talking about his joy. And in the context of Matthew, if we'd read it all the way through, it would be no surprise to us that this treasure would be hidden Jesus has already been saying that God, strangely to our ears, maybe deliberately hides the same word, the truth of the true worth of Jesus from people who are wise in their own eyes. So if you were to flick back a chapter to, or two to chapter 11, verse 25, you'll see that um, Jesus has been denouncing some local cities for failing to repent. And then in verse 25, he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. You've revealed them to the little children. That's the, the pattern all the way through, that the truth of Jesus gets hidden from people who are so sure that they have life worked out that they don't need God. And that truth gets revealed to people who have got the humility to learn from him and to receive his love as a, as a free and undeserved gift. And it's clear today that the treasure remains hidden. Uh, ask around town. Most people, if you tell them this week that you're a Christian, will be completely baffled as to why you would worship someone who was alive 2,000 years ago. Um, my own experience is that unbelieving friends, family, they don't mind the fact that I have a faith. They think it's quite nice for me, I guess. But tell them that you, you value Christ above success and status and self-expression and sex and having a good time and they think you're nuts. 
It begs the question, maybe you're asking it this morning, what is it about Jesus that makes him so precious? If you were to scrape away the dirt in the field and you were to turn the spotlight on him, what do you, what do you see? Is he really worth living for in this way? We might be frustrated at first because the parables themselves don't give us the answer. That is just because Matthew's already spent 12 chapters telling us the answer. So what I did was to read back through Matthew and to come up with the four things on the sheet that he's already mentioned that tell us why Jesus is so precious. First, he's priceless because of the wisdom that he provides. Um, it's not something we talk about all that much, but it's been in the air in Matthew. So in chapter 12, um, Jesus is, proclaims himself to be one greater than the king whose wisdom was proverbial, King Solomon. And there's a couple of places in the Old Testament where wisdom is specifically compared to a hidden treasure. So I didn't put the verse down, but in Proverbs 2, it says, if you call out for insight, if you cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver, if you search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom. And here Jesus is saying that humanity has been searching for answers to life's biggest questions throughout human history philosophers, gurus, academics, TED talkers, they all tried to explain reality to us and to show us where we can find meaning and perspective. What does it mean to be truly human? What does it mean to live a good life? Says Jesus, you're looking in the wrong place. I am the answer to all of your deepest questions. I am wisdom, I'm life, I'm the one through whom you can know God. I'm the one in whom you can have true life. That's why I'm like a treasure, even though I'm hidden. Second thing that makes Jesus priceless is the relationship that he offers. Um, the, the first question of a famous summary of the Christian faith says, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And it's making the point that just as an eagle lives best in the, the wide open sky and a whale lives best in the deep blue sea. The way that we humans live best is in a loving relationship with God. That's the way that our creator designed us to thrive. Of course, we all turn our back on loving God and serving him. We put ourselves at the center of the universe. We act by nature as though we don't want a relationship with him. But then at the moment that I, I come back to, to Jesus, I turn away from my wrong, I claim the forgiveness of sin that he died on the cross to achieve, I, I come back to him in repentance and faith. Well, I'm given the privilege of knowing God personally. Uh, we prayed it earlier when Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray. He said, start your prayers like this, our Father in heaven. Because the Christian gets to relate to the almighty creator that intimately. And again, the more I know of God, his greatness, his power, his majesty, his truth, his justice, everything that there is about him, 
then the more I will treasure that above everything. Friends will ask, well, what's the big deal about knowing God? Why does Jesus matter to you so much? He's not even here. So the Christian will know the blessing, the security, the the sense of purpose, the grace, the, the strength, the love that flow to us in and through Jesus and from God. And so we want to treasure him above all things. Third, he's priceless because of the rescue he achieves. You may know from um, Christmas carol readings, if nowhere else, the angel uh, appeared to Joseph um, to announce the birth of Emmanuel, God with us, and uh, said, Mary will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means the Lord saves. And all through Matthew, the, the chief work of Jesus is to save his people from their sins. But I guess it's obvious, isn't it? I'll only treasure the rescue that Jesus literally died to achieve if I start to realize the awful place that I'm in, spiritually speaking, if I don't have that rescue. It's the one who's been forgiven much who will love Jesus much in return. I don't know if you can imagine having a a debt that is so large that you have no hope of ever being able to pay it off. If you can't now, you might in about four years time be able to relate to that, but imagine a a debt beyond uh, anything you could pay and a, a friend comes along and clears the debt for you in an instant. How highly would you value that friend's help? Or imagine having a sickness and there's no cure until some doctor somewhere comes up with something and you take a single pill and you're better forever. How grateful would you be? How highly would you value that doctor? It's a tiny picture of what it's like to be spiritually bankrupt, sick, dead, the Bible would even say, until Jesus comes along and dies for you and he clears your debt and he cures your sickness, and he gives you life forevermore. Friend will say, I don't really need to be forgiven. What's the big deal about that? But if God has revealed even a, even a hint of your sin to you, you'll value Jesus above all things because of the rescue that he achieves. Finally, he's priceless because of the rest he guarantees. Um, I was Googling, uh, apparently the most expensive hotel in the world at the moment is a submarine in St. Lucia um, called Lover's Deep. And uh, if you stay, you get to spend the night in the most incredible luxury underwater, outside your window, all sorts of tropical fish flying around. Um, You've got your own captain, your own chef, your own butler, tending to your every need. If you... um, Fancy going, a little romantic break for two. If you don't suffer from claustrophobia, it might be okay for you. You'll be delighted to know, it's a mere snip, £175,000 a night uh, for you to be able to stay there. Uh, You could buy a house for that in lots of places in Fife, but people will pay a fortune, won't they, for what they they call a, a little taste of tropical paradise. Except, of course, when you get there, 
you'll discover it's not really paradise. Because you can still get a headache. And uh, they can't mend your marriage. And no amount of butler service will ever cure the, the selfishness in your heart. That is the incredible thing, though, about Jesus. As he walked around first century Palestine, he gave, he provided a, a genuine foretaste of paradise. He met people who were blind or dumb. He said a single word, and they were better. He came in contact with evil, and he banished it. Even the mountain of death was just like a little molehill to him. Here was God on earth, and he was rolling back the effects of mankind's rebellion against him. He was providing a little snapshot, a window into how good it will be to be in heaven, in God's perfect new world of rest, free from every defect. It doesn't cost you 175 grand a night, thankfully. Jesus offered the world not just the, the rescue that we desperately need and the relationship for which we were made, but this rest for which we long, starting now living in relationship with him and ultimately in his new creation. And it is all free of charge to anyone who will receive it. I don't know what you think the attitude uh, Jesus would have to you this morning would be. The writer Dane Ortland says, we naturally think of Jesus reaching out to us in the way that a little boy reaches out to touch a slug for the first time. And he's got his face all screwed up and he's cautiously extending his arm. And then on contact, he gives a yelp of disgust before instantly withdrawing. And instead, Jesus says, come to me. All of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Well, I said it would just be a whistle stop tour, but I hope those four things are beginning to show us why, when Jesus is saying, This is what it's like to know me. He says, it's like finding a treasure that is worth leaving everything to have. You glimpse his true worth, and then our response starts to fall into place. Brings us to our second point. We've had the hidden joy of the kingdom these last few moments, the high demand of the kingdom of heaven. If you were to um, read the literature on these parables, you discover that through history, some people have said, uh, emphasized exclusively the value of the treasure. It's great, it's great, it's great. And others have talked about the cost, the sacrifice that these people make to get it. I'm persuaded Jesus wants us to hold both things together. The only detail that is emphasized in both parables is that these two guys sold everything that they had in order to gain the prize. And that fits because all the way through Matthew, Jesus tells us that following him comes with a cost. Chapter 8, he was chatting to a would-be disciple. He said, it's impossible to follow me and to pursue a life of ease and comfort at the same time. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 
told a, another that following him has to take priority over even our most pressing and important human obligations. Let the dead bury their dead. You come and follow me. Famously, he said, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. He's summoning everybody to a, a life of wholehearted, single-minded commitment to him. So he's saying, look, Jesus, I, I'm not just a, a hobby that you can pick up and put down when you want. I'm not just an accessory to wear when it's convenient for you. But if ever you want to ignore me and uh, go and do your own thing for a day, that's fine. Just come back tomorrow. He's saying he is the Lord to whom we are devoted because our eyes have been opened to see his worth. So Matthew, the fisherman, left their nets to follow him. Matthew himself got up from his tax collector's booth to follow Jesus. These two sell everything because he's that precious. Uh, people debate what does it mean to apply this idea of selling everything. I don't think it literally means we have to go sell everything. The, the, the big point is commitment. These guys are going to let nothing stand in the way of them getting their prize. So two final thoughts as we close. One a challenge, one a word of reassurance. The challenge, pretty straightforward, isn't it? Like life is all about making the right value judgments. We do it all the time. What kind of value am I going to place on Jesus Christ today, this year? If I ask those who know me best, what does the, the way that I live tell you about what matters most to me? What would they say? What, what story does my life tell? What does it say about the value I place on Christ? And there are lots of things that we value in life. Families, qualifications, success, ambitions, loads of things. Jesus is not saying they're worthless, far from it. If you come and follow Jesus, everything else keeps its proper place. But we begin to order everything around him. He takes on supreme value because he is supremely valuable. Without Jesus, our world has no ultimate meaning, no answer to guilt, no answer to death, no true knowledge of God. And Jesus came to offer all four things. He's that precious. So if you were to distill it into a word, what is the word that would capture this morning your own attitude to Jesus? Do you sideline him at the moment? Ignore him? Respect him? Or do you treasure him above everything? If you're new in town, you're wondering who we are as a church and whether you want to settle with us. What do we stand for? I think this is as close as I can come to it this morning. We're just a, a family of sinners who want to help each other to treasure Jesus above all things and then to show and tell our town how awesome it is to know him. We would love you to come and help us do that better, to know him and to make him known. 
That's the challenge. I want to end, though, with the reassurance. Because um, there's a really telling moment in a few chapters, chapter 19, when Peter, one of the apostles, says to Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And it's a question that's born at least in part from a little sense of insecurity, I think. He's saying, Jesus, I, I remember the parable. We've done what it says. We've, people think we're mad, but we've got this sense of your worth. So we have now left everything to follow you. And we, please, will, please will you just tell us that we'll be okay? Uh, many of us will be able to relate to that sense of insecurity. You know, even as John was saying this morning, as we go through life, Jesus doesn't always sparkle in our eyes in the way that he should. We're tempted to set our hearts on other things. We're tempted to chase after other priorities and trophies and prizes, and he can just slip to the back burner or off it completely. We're not even sure if living for him is worth it. Sometimes we wonder, am I doing the right thing being a Christian? Would my life just be simpler if I ignore everything maybe I've been brought up with? and go my own way in St. Andrew's instead. And this morning Jesus is saying, well, look, just block out all of the background noise for a bit. Block out that ever-human desire to be the king or the queen of your own life. And focus on the value of what you already have. The secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you if you're a Christian. Jesus gave himself for you and to you, perfect wisdom from God, perfect rescue, perfect relationship, perfect rest. You know, if you don't have Jesus, it doesn't matter how much you've got. In the light of eternity, you could have the whole world, but if you don't have Jesus, you've got nothing. But if you do have Jesus, even if he's all you've got, still you have everything. He is that precious. And so the question is for all of us, me included, is that how we're going to live in the year to come? Why don't we pray together? Almighty God, we want to thank and praise you um, for this chance to look at this um, really simple couple of parables this morning and to be reminded of the worth of Jesus. We know that other things often shine brighter in our eyes, other priorities are more urgent, it seems to us, in our day. We want the security that comes from being accepted by other people and achieving things and owning things. And so we don't always praise him uh, as highly as we should, we don't always prize him as much as we should. And we praise you again, therefore, for the forgiveness of our sin if we've trusted in him. That we're not um, left alone by him, but that he comes to live with us and to help us to prize and treasure him as we should. Help us, please, to do that in our heart of hearts this week, in our affections, our desires. And help us to live that way too, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Right, we're going to sing a couple of songs back to back.